Powell's parents that I would write her story, and I am honoring that promise. None of us knew then how horrifically the Powell story would play out in 2012. Had I known, I probably would not have attempted it. The second case, Two Strange Deaths in Coronado, is only a year and a half old, and it raises the question of why the San Diego County Sheriff's Office closed their July 2011 death investigation after only seven weeks. There are myriad theories on how and why Maxfield Shacknai, 6, and Rebecca Zahau, 32, perished in a billionaire's mansion in Coronado, California, within 48 hours. Are any of these possibilities the true story? I don't have all the answers. I cannot tell you exactly what happened over the course of a few black days in sunny Coronado. I can only share with you what I have managed to glean. This case made sweeping headlines and was the subject of numerous newspaper articles and television and radio reports, as well as a surge of gossip in the popular resort area where it took place. And then, almost as suddenly as it happened, Max's and Becky's deaths faded to newspapers' inside pages and from the top of the news, only to be quickly replaced by other mysteries, leaving family members of the deceased with an overwhelming sense of emptiness. I am still wondering what could possibly have happened to two very unlikely victims. And I am not the only one still pursuing answers in a baffling case that cries out for a final chapter. Double Death for the Kind Philanthropists explores the deaths of two lifetime philanthropists. It is such a sad case for almost everyone involved that it still haunts me. Fire tells the story of a real-life towering inferno, the end result of a dangerous arsonist's fantasies. No one was safe in the many-storied hotel, and the casualty count could have been disastrous. When the smoke and flames were finally extinguished, the prime suspect was most unlikely. In the case I've titled An Obsession with Blondes, I cover a serial rapist's lust and deception as he carefully targeted his victims. He found them in seemingly safe venues, but he took them to locations where they were ultimately vulnerable. Luckily, an astute Oregon detective proved to be an adversary he could not overcome. The last Valentine's Day recounts an inexplicable tragedy that took place back in the 70s and was eventually stored away in cold case files as unsolved, and probably unsolvable, until recently. After a very long time, one of several suspects I wrote about at the time of the crime finally emerged as the real killer of a trusting 16-year-old girl. The man who loved too much describes a murder case that embodies the familiar and selfish threat. If I can't have you, then no one can. Those words can be an idle warning, but too often they are voiced by someone who means every word. Human beings are not possessions to be caught in an inescapable net. In this case, what once was love gradually became desperate entrapment for a frightened woman named Sue Ann. Terror on a mountain trail pits a highly trained and powerful military man against two vulnerable women. A member of the U.S. Army's elite 75th Ranger Regiment, 
the stalker may have killed more women, including an airline ticket clerk who left her job one day and has never been seen again. As I traced this ranger's life since, I was surprised at what I found, and concerned for all women who fail to realize the perils of being alone where human predators watch them. No one knows where Wendy is, is about every parent's worst nightmare. All too often, people who seem to be safe, kind, and trustworthy are anything but. After small sacrifices, I vowed that I would never again write about the death of children. But there are some cases where I need to write cautionary tales that may save other children. Wendy's story is one. Susan Powell's son's fate is another. Over time, many of the unsolved cases that I believed would never come to a satisfactory conclusion have been closed.